Good morning. Oh, y'all, what a morning. We're having YouTube problems, so if you're on YouTube, you won't hear me. Just letting you know. So, hey, welcome to church. It's good to see you. Will you stand with me? We're going to spend some time singing about the greatness of our God. We're going to have it kind of laid back today, but we're still going to worship the creator of the universe. So join in with me. God, we give you today, be glorified in our praise. Sing with me. Lord of all creation, of water, earth, and sky, heavens are your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high, God of wonders beyond our galaxy.
Isn't he beautiful? What a place we live in. Every morning and every evening is like a landscape painting just for us, reminding us of God's beauty, isn't it? I see your face, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. I see your face, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. something else that's beautiful. And I sing of the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part but the Just your voices. And Lord, haste the day when the face shall be shrouded. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall time with me. When 
reminded as we sing that song, It Is Well With My Soul, of a time when I remember I was, I got some OCD, and I was, I, I had a little tiny room growing up, and so I would even grab a Clorox wipe, and I would, I would clean the floor. I'd get on my hands and knees after I swept and even mopped it, and I would Clorox wipe the floors in my room. I had a doormat for when somebody went to go step into my room, they had to wipe their feet off before they got into my room. And I remember there was a morning that I was struggling with knowing if God's existence. I was like, man, is, is God real? Is God real? And I remember as I got up to go grab the broom to clean my room before I left to school, I threw the broom back. And I said, what's even the point? What's even the point? If you're not real, what's the point of even keeping this room clean? And I said, let me just get my book back and let's just go to school. I'm going to leave my room dirty. And, uh, and I said, well, man, what's the point of even going to school? What's the point of even going to school? And I... And I got out the courage. I went on to school, and when I made it here to Port Orange Church in Nazarene, because there's a church I was attending when I was in high school, I went to my youth pastor at the time and one of my best buddies, and I said, can I tell you something? I said, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. I said, and I need you to be Jesus for me because I don't, I don't believe anymore. And it is only a matter of time, maybe a month or so that went on by, that they continued to be Jesus in my life to me. And then I went to them and I said, hey, listen, I believe again. And so I'm reminded as we sing it as well with my soul, no matter what life is throwing at you, God is always good. And no matter what you may face, as long as you're able to say it is well with my soul, then praise be to God. And he's the only reason. And so, Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, I thank you this morning. That no matter what anybody is going through in this room, online, in this world today, <laughs> I think of even Cuba now as it, sits so clo- as it hits so close to home. Lord, all the other countries that we don't know about, all the things that we don't see that are going on in the background, the trafficking, the drugs, you know, the chaos, Lord, the, you know, the, 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 the crimes that are being committed. <sighs> Looking at it all, Lord. Lord, if we could say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. That there's nothing that can measure beyond. It is well with my soul. Lord, I pray this morning that we are a church that readies our heart for you and what you have for us. Lord, I pray that in the chaos of this world, in, in everything that we might be facing or going through, Lord, that, that, Lord, that we would be reminded that we serve a God that is in control. That we serve a God that is above all. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are Jesus, the High King. And we lift you up this morning. As we close in prayer, can we sing that chorus one more time? It is well with my soul.
Good morning. I want to welcome everybody here. I'm, a, I'm Jason, the new guy, if you don't know me yet. I'm recognizing most of the faces out here, especially Danny. Uh, but it's great to be with you. How many of you have had God speak to you in very unusual ways this week? Um, that's good. That's good. That's good. Unusual is okay. You realize that God isn't as uniform as we often think he is. Uh, Pastor Garen and I yesterday spent some time driving around through the city. And uh, I, I often have said, I want to drive around and dream about what, what God has planned. And as I am getting gray hair, a little bit of wisdom hopefully comes with that. I'm realizing I'm driving around with the pastor trying to hear God's dream for our lives. And uh, we were driving around through some of the parts of town where uh, we would often say, oh, Christians don't go there. Because we're like, wait. This is where we'd probably find Jesus hanging out. And uh, it was, a, it was a, an amazing time of dreaming. We did sample some of God's uh, finer creations as we stopped at Bucky's, you know. Uh, but it was a good time of just letting God speak in ways that we often don't take time to listen. Um, and so I am I'm looking forward to hearing many of your stories as... Uh, I don't ever want to move away from here. It's great. You all have been welcoming. And also, just every time I drive past the water, I'm like, whoa, I'm not on vacation. I live here. So uh, thank you for being so hospitable. You've been very welcoming as uh, me and my family have come. But just this week, I want you to listen to what God is saying to you. If he's saying, hey, I want you to do something that is very unusual, but very welcoming to those who need to know him. So at this point, uh, I think that you usually, uh, you pass the peace. Is that what it's called here? See, I'm from Oklahoma. We've got 70-plus Native American tribes. I'm used to them saying pass the peace pipe. But I don't think we do that in the Nazarene church. So we pass the peace. I want you to just greet each other in the name of Jesus and realize that, hey, those around you are here for the same reason as you, to realize the Spirit is with us. He wants to speak to us. Jesus wants to fill our lives. We've got a bunch of buddies all around you here for the same exact reason. So, wave. I know in the old days, Italian kisses and stuff like that. I don't think we're doing that right now. But uh, just uh, pass the peace to those around you. So four times this morning since we've been here, God has said, you need to share this. And then a little bit more would go on, and then one of them would say something, or we'd see something, and God has said, you have to share this. So it only takes four times for God to get through to me. Um, I am one of those people that have been blessed with a very, very thick body. You will never see it, but I live it inside me. And the reason I say blessed is because there are times when the only thing that I have to hold on to is it is well with my soul. 
because this body is going to be gone completely for that. And I just, I just am blessed because I know this much of the pain Jesus ever went through. And if I only know this much and I'm in the pain I know on a regular basis, how much more did he suffer? So I want to just thank God for the blessings of this sick body. And, and even to go beyond that, God gave me a husband who understands that I have a sick body. And let me tell you, there's nothing in the world like somebody who is your support, mentally and physically and spiritually. And I'm so grateful. Amen. Word of God says we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So we just put them under our foot. There you go, yep. So guys, uh, we're going to continue in worship this morning. What a beautiful morning it is. God's already speaking to our hearts. Um, and this is just an opportunity that we have to give back to him. You're going to see a couple different ways on the screen in just a moment that you're able to give via text. Uh, you know, you could... What are, what are different ways? We've got text. You can give online, a big give button. Um, and then as well as if you're in here with us present, we have uh, some drop boxes in the foyer on your way out. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being a God that is real, that is active, and Lord, that is living in our lives and in our hearts. And Father, I pray this morning uh, that we would be reminded of the blessings that you've given us already. Thank you. Lord, we thank you. Bless this time that we have here. Bless the giver and the thing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are uh, in the middle of a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and for those of you, if you don't know me, my name is Garen, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's so good to see your face. Your faces look great to me, so it's nice to have you here, and uh, it's my prayer that you've already sensed God's Spirit and God's leading, and hopefully we can learn a little bit more over the next couple minutes as we dive into God's Word. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, if you're... Uh, if you want, you can uh, turn there, or I will actually have the words on the screen this week. Sorry, last week I, uh, I, I did not, but that's okay. That's okay. So we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and, and if you'll recall, just as a quick recap, Jesus is on mission, and his mission is found in Matthew 4, 17, where he says, uh, Matthew says that Jesus went around telling people, repent, 
turn around. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is in your presence. You need to turn around. You were going towards death. Go towards life. You were going towards sin. Go towards righteousness. You were going towards nothing good. Go towards someone good, is what Jesus is saying. And he's gathering this crowd, and it's not the high and mighty, it's not the political leaders and the religious leaders and all these fancy schmancy people, it's the poor and the outcast and the lonely and the broken and the people who, who feel discarded. It's those people who feel like they have nothing. And Jesus tells them in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 that they're actually blessed because God is with them. And he goes through these nine blessings that would blow their mind, and, and I encourage you to read through them. I would encourage you to read through Matthew 5-7 through 7 multiple times this week. It's not a bad, small passage, relatively small, compared to the Bible, to memorize. And so we get to these Beatitudes, these blessings, and then after that, Jesus says, Hey, you're called to be salt. You're called to be light. But if you're not giving the world these God flavors, what are you doing? You're called to be the light of the world, but if you're not showing these God colors, what are you doing? And then we get to the passage that we started on last week, and we talked about this part of the, the law that Jesus, that many people thought, well, we're looking for a revolutionary. We're looking for a radical who's going to overthrow the government and he's going to establish everything and he's going to follow all the laws or he's going to abolish it all. And then Jesus says this. My clicker's not working. Jesus did not say that. That's, that's me saying that. There it is. <laughs> Could you imagine Jesus with PowerPoint on the, on the, on the hillside? <laughs> I'm going to give you three keys to success. <laughs> this is what Matthew 5 says. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Harsh words. All right, I'm going to see if I got this back. No, it's still not. So it's going to be you, isn't it? Sorry. I tried to help you, Angela. Sorry. So last week we talked about the law. Last week we talked about Jesus saying there was a plan. 
and, and the plan goes all the way back to the very beginning. The plan goes all the way back to the garden. And it was really quite simple. When God created humanity, He wanted to walk with them and talk with them and have communion with them. And He said, I want to teach you. I want you to trust me for understanding. I want you to trust me for wisdom. Two things. Just, just love me, God is saying, and love each other. And we know how the story goes, and we talked about this last week, how time and time again, the people chose to do their own thing. And it's so funny how, I don't know if you've ever known someone like this at your workplace, where they're asked to do one thing, but they don't want to do it, so instead they do seven other things, thinking, well, I didn't get to it because I was busy doing these things. And instead of trying to live into these two things that God asked, over time they developed 600 plus laws. Things to keep that would help them be better, help them be um, more righteous. When God was really saying, all you need to do is love me and love others. And so when Jesus comes and he says, I haven't come to abolish the law or the prophets, I've come to fulfill them, what Jesus is saying is, we're going back to the original blueprints. We're going to get back to the way things were planned from before time began. And I'm going to surrender to my Father, and I'm going to trust Him completely. And I'm going to love Him with all my heart, and I'm going to love you, humanity, with all my heart. And I'm going to show you what it looks like for this plan to be fulfilled in your presence because I want you to participate in the original plan. That's what you were designed for. And all these other things are just bogging you down. And so Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. I came to live into them. I came to breathe life into them because I want you to understand that even with all your laws, the heart of the matter is really the matter of the heart. All these things that you're doing in my name, I appreciate it, but what I really want is your heart. That's what I'm looking for, because if I have your heart, I have all of you. If I have your heart, I have everything you're thinking and everything you're doing and everything you want, and I have your dreams and I have your hopes, and I can take all of that and use that to bring glory to me and to love others in a way that you could never expect if you'll just give me your heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And Jesus was telling him, I know what you're doing. You're just keeping up with the appearances. The problem is, you've got all these rules, and you've, you've gotten God here, but you haven't let God sink down to here. And that sounds really good to us, right? We, we want this. But it would get Jesus in a lot of trouble. Time and time again, Jesus was always at odds because... Love for God and love for others always ended up butting up against one of the rules that they had established and one of the laws that they had set up. There's a passage in Mark chapter 3. Jesus is coming out of the synagogue and he sees a man who has a deformity. 
And Scripture says that the enemies of Jesus were watching to see what he would do, to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Because one of the rules that they had was, we don't do anything on the Sabbath. And if Jesus can do miracles, that's their quotes, not mine, then if he does them, he's doing or working on the Sabbath, which is breaking one of our laws. So they wanted to see what Jesus was going to do. And Jesus says in Mark 3, 5, This is what he says. He looked around at them because he understood what they were thinking. He was deeply saddened, not by what they were thinking. He was deeply saddened by their hardened heart. They knew the rules in their mind, but they didn't understand that the rules were to help them get to the heart of the matter, which was to love God and to love others. And they had allowed the rules to circumvent the will of God in their lives. Do we ever do that? I mean, do we ever have that battle between heart and mind? We uh, think it's about a checklist and doing the right things. We may not have the 600 rules, but we have our own rules. Well, if you really love Jesus, you'll be at church on Sunday. And you'll tithe, and you'll go to Sunday school, and you won't smoke, and you won't chew, and you won't go with girls that do. And we've got all these rules. But here's the problem. You can, in your mind, know about Jesus and not have him in your heart. But it is impossible to have Jesus in your heart and not begin to understand him better and know him better with your mind. And what Jesus is saying, you're coming at it from the wrong angle. You're trying to circumvent the process, which is let me change your heart. Let me transform your heart. I want to transform your life. I don't want to just teach you how to look better. I don't want to just change the outside appearance. I want to change the inside. You remember when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he says, woe to you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is filthy. Jesus is saying, I want to start from the inside and as we get to the heart, then everything else will sort itself out. And if we can get to the heart and the heart of the matter is loving God and loving others, That's what it's about. And verse 20 is really the key of all of it. Can we put up verse 20? Jesus says this. Oh, wait, go back. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious laws and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, a lot of the commentaries will tell you that. That is kind of the hinge for the entire Sermon on the Mount. At the beginning, Jesus is saying, this is all I am, this is all you're called to be, and then you get to this. It's got to exceed, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. And then the second part after that is talking about what does it look like if you're living the first part. And the second part talks about that. 
Now, this is what's scary. It's very easy to look at this. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's very easy to look at that and to think, oh, well, then I need to do more or do better. Or I need to, Jesus is telling me I'm not good enough. I've got to try harder. Because you've got these religious leaders who they've got 600 laws memorized and they're living them. And they've got the entire Old Testament, many of them, memorized. And if I've got to be more righteous than them, if I've got to do all that, well then, I don't have a chance. And if we're not careful, this verse can be so discouraging and deflating. But here's what I find, as I was studying, this word righteousness and this word righteousness. Now, in our English language, when we were writing and translating, a lot of times it's like, well, I don't know what that word is exactly in our language. Well, just put it in with this. It's kind of like when, you know, it's like, I love you. Well, that could mean nine different things. And that's a similar thing that's happening here. When Jesus is saying, your righteousness and the righteousness of the Pharisees, he's not using the same idea. Here's what he's saying. The very first one, your righteousness, your righteousness, the Greek word that's used there, the definition is this. Someone who is as they ought to be. It's correctness in thinking, feeling, and acting. That's the righteousness that Jesus is saying we're supposed to have. Correctness in thinking, feeling, and acting. Your righteousness. Living rightly with God. Correct thinking, feeling, and acting. Which, by the way, is lived out in the Beatitudes and being salt and being light. You see why this is kind of the crux of the... Your righteousness. That's what he's saying. Should be better than the Pharisees. Now, the word he uses for the Pharisees is actually... A rightness. And it's and even in the definition, it talks about as a scribe who writes down things correctly. They've got it all down, and it's not that they're wrong, but they're not really dealing with thinking, feeling, acting. And Jesus is basically saying. It's not good enough for you just to have the right answers anymore. It never was good enough. And so I wrote down, if I were to translate, and this is not the Bible, this is just if I were to put into words, I would say Matthew 5.20 would be this. All right, Angela. (laughs) Unless you live your lives in the way they ought to be lived, with a correctness in the way you think, feel, and act in relation to God and in relation to the neighbor that God places in front of you. And unless your sacrificial lives of love aren't more impactful than the people who claim to be God followers simply because they go to church or carry a Bible or know all the lyrics to the latest Christian music, if your lives don't have more substance than these posers then you'll never fully see the kingdom of heaven coming to fulfillment in and through 
your lives. Do you see the difference? Jesus wants to transform our hearts. And that's what we really want, isn't it? I mean, none of us are really... The the checklist is all well and good, but the checklist doesn't leave you fulfilled. You may feel like you accomplished something, but I think everyone who's living their lives with a spiritual checklist knows there's something missing. We're called to completely think, act, and feel the way that Jesus would because that's how Jesus is. And wherever Jesus is, the kingdom of heaven is. I love how Paul, I love what Paul says to the uh, church in Colossians. In uh, the Colossians, um, this is the, the Passion Translation. Debbie, you love that translation. I'm beginning to like it more and more. This is how we have this righteousness that exceeds that of the righteousness of the Pharisees. If we understand that living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. I love the verbs. It floods you. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavily treasured chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. That's why we're called to be salt and light. God wants everyone to know it. He wants you to be in Christ. He wants Christ to be embedded in you. So, one quick story. We're reading a, um, we're reading a book together with a small group called Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. And there was a story that we finished a couple of weeks ago that really its just been with me. And, and if you haven't been able to join us, you're welcome to join us on Wednesday. Small plug. And if you say, I can't really join you on Wednesday, but I wish I would have read the book, I've got a book for you. I'll, I'll give it to you if you want one. Just see me after church. It's that good. But there's this story where Kyle says he's, he's speaking at a church in Houston, Texas, and a guy comes up to him afterwards, and it's a, he, he says it's a big Texan guy with the big belt buckle. So get that image. And he comes to Eidelman after the speaking or sermon. He didn't say what it was. And he starts to talk about his prodigal daughter. This daughter that they had raised in the church her whole life. And then she went off to college and just kind of fell away from God. She's gotten mixed up in the wrong crowds and the wrong people. And she's doing the wrong things and... Eidelman says, and I knew exactly where this was going. And I guess the the first question is, do you know someone like that? That's kind of gone off the rails? Or maybe you'd say, I was that once. Or, I'm still that. Anyway, the man talks to him, but he didn't ask him the normal questions. What, what can I do for my do- to get my daughter to come home? What, what can I do to help her be changed? What can I do to bring her back? He didn't ask any questions. He actually just simply had a simple and profound statement that has really hit me this week. He says this, 
We raised her in the church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. We raised her in the church. We made her go to Sunday school. We made her be in Bible quizzing. We made her go to all the teen afterglows. We made her do all these things. We made her sit with us in Sunday service because if she sat with her friends, she'd talk. We made her do all these things and then she walked away. Because when religion is nothing more than a bunch of rules that you can never measure up to, why would you ever want to stay in that religion? What he says, I wish we would have done is raised her in Christ and taught her about this God that loves her and told her that there is a Savior that died for her and told her that her life can be different. If she'll surrender to God the way that we've surrendered to God, her life will be transformed and she'll never be the same. And she'll start to have this heart of Jesus that beats for those that are hurting around her. And she'll start to live out this calling in her life. I wish we would have raised her in Christ but we raised her in the church. And so, my question to you today, and this is where we're going to stop. My question is simply, where are you being raised? See, those that are raised in Christ, or those that are raised in the church, they worry about the rules They want to know, what's the minimum I can do? I need to know, what's the threshold for getting into heaven, and I'll just pull vault over that. I I just need to know, what, what do I need to do to scrape on by? What's the least I can do? People that are raised in church, they like knowing who's in and who's out. If I can put a label on you, then I can identify you as one of us or one of them. People who are raised in the church, they worry about how they will appear to others. So they come to church wearing a mask because they don't want to be vulnerable and let others know that they're struggling with an issue or they're struggling with a sin or they're struggling with an attitude or they're hurting or they're questioning. People in church would much rather wear a mask. People in church keep others that they would consider, quote-unquote, sinners at a distance. Forgetting that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They, they like to say, yeah, but that's not me, that's them. People in church figure they've got God all sorted out in their minds. Yeah, I know, I know how to play the game. You hear that a lot when they say, yeah, I'm going to get right with God later in life. I figured it out. I'm going to have my fun now, and then right before I die on my deathbed, I'll give my life to God, and he's got to let me in, right? Because that's the rules. Wouldn't it be better if we could live our lives in Christ? Instead of living our lives in the church. See, when we live our lives in Christ, we're not worried about the minimum requirements because we're giving everything to God. If we're in Christ, the minimum is 100. 
It's all His. My heart, my mind, my money, my actions, my attitudes, my goings. If it's all His, I don't have to worry about what's the minimum because the minimum is everything. And if it's all His, I don't have to worry about what's left over because I am in Christ and He is more than enough. People raised in Christ choose to love others radically. Have you ever known someone that you're just like, dude, you are just over the top loving and kind and I don't understand it. Is this real or is this fake? But people that are in Christ have a radical love and they choose to pull people into their circle rather than pushing them out. They choose not to say who's in and who's out. They choose to say everybody can be in. His arms are big enough to hold us all. And there doesn't have to be a you and me. There doesn't have to be a sinner and saint. There can be if we choose to be all gods. That's what people that are raised in Christ understand. They specifically look for the unloved and the unlovable. It's what Jason was saying earlier, because that's exactly who Jesus would be looking for. I mean, I mean, I guess he met with Nicodemus, but Nicodemus came to him. But Jesus very rarely was going to the people that had it all together. More times than not, Jesus was going with the hot messes of the world. The people who, you look at them and say, man, it doesn't even look like you were able to brush your hair today. That's how messed up you are. Those are the people that Christ is with. Those are the people that, the people that are in Christ. The people that live and breathe and have their being in Christ. Those are the people that those in Christ love. They, they go from this, and they start instead here. And, and this informs this. Their heart informs their mind instead of their mind telling them, if their heart needs to kick in or not, they do it the, the way God planned. Start to love. Love God. Love others. The people who are righteous are the ones that welcome and eat with the sinners and the tax collectors. Not because they're trying to earn their way into heaven. Well, if I'm nice to that junkie, then God will love me better because I'm being nice to them. No, They love everyone and they welcome everyone because they realize that they are already blessed. Jesus already told them they're blessed. And so they don't have to try to earn anything or do anything. They just be. They just be in Christ. They live in Christ. And that changes everything. Because at the end of it, righteousness... Is about right relationship. That's what... When Abraham believed, Abraham had faith, and it was counted to him as righteous, it means he was in a right relationship with God. It doesn't mean we can read Genesis and learn that Abraham did not have all of his ducks in a row. He had issues. But he had a right relationship with God because he said, God, I'm all yours. I may fail, I may succeed. I don't know how this day is going to go, but I know that my intent is to be all yours every breath. 
and we'll just see what happens. Lead me. I will follow. The, the message today is simply this. If your righteousness is transactional, if then, if I do this, then God will do this, you're missing the boat. Transactional is not the righteousness God is looking for. Transformational is the righteousness that God is calling us to. It's my prayer that today you will begin the process or you will continue the process of being transformed. Changed from glory into glory till in heaven. Oh, I thought someone was going to start singing it. (laughs) It's my prayer that transformation will be the calling of our church. That we'll be changed. That we'll be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. And how we are like Jesus today isn't good enough for tomorrow. We're just that determined. We want to be more like him. We want to be closer to him. Jen's in North Carolina right now. She's probably not even watching the service. You know, she, when, she's, when she's away, she plays. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, honey. <laughs> she's probably typing something very not nice to, about me right now on the thread. Uh, no, but um, I don't even know where I was going. <laughs> what was I saying? <laughs> yeah, she's in North Carolina. Um, when she's away, I miss her. And it's a different miss than when she's just down the street. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because for 21 years, my life has kind of been transformed to wanting and needing to be with her. And I'm not quite fully myself when she's somewhere else. I'm an okay version of me, but honestly, not anything that anyone would want to hang out with. I'm better when I'm with her. She brings out the Garen colors in me. Well, you don't have to go there. (laughs) (laughs) That's what my prayer is for us. That we'll understand that the closer we are to Jesus, the more he pulls out these Jesus colors, these God colors and these God flavors in our lives because they're there. We're made in God's image already. That's already done. The question is, are we going to allow God to pull out these God flavors and these God colors in our lives so that others who need to hear and see will be able to do it because we are faithful? May that be said of us this week. Let's pray. God, we just want more of you. That's what we want. All of our songs this morning, it wasn't planned this way, but they all talked about your greatness and and what you can do with galaxies and stars and planets aligning and all the beauty that we see around us. But God, the most beautiful transformation and creation that you've done is in our hearts if we've followed you. I pray that you continue to paint a masterpiece in our lives. And we understand that That doesn't mean there won't be shadows in the picture. 
that doesn't mean there won't be hard times. But we, but we choose to trust that you are creating something beautiful in our lives. Because at the end of our lives, we pray that the picture that you're painting in our hearts is this image of Jesus. Make us more like that, we pray. Amen. So we're going to come to the table. There, there are a few things that are more transformational than sharing a meal together. If you were to go into my office right now, you would see, you'd, you'd open up my laptop, and the picture that is there is a picture of Jen and me when we were sitting around a table at a friend's house with eight strangers. None of us had ever met other than we all knew the host. And yet, there was such a beautiful God evening when we all came together and we shared a meal and we shared our stories and we started to see that our lives were connected by much more than Brian and Chrissy because we all had this, either this knowledge and love of God or this need for God. And it was God that united us. And that was, it was God that was at the table with us and made it a holy place. And so we celebrate communion or the great Thanksgiving or the Eucharist. We celebrate it every week. Not because we think it's a ritual, but because we understand that that's how we're called to live. We're called to live life in community and we're called to live life sacrificially. If we're going to be like Jesus, that's kind of how Jesus lived. He traveled around with his posse, discipling them, teaching them, living life in community, and he sacrificed. He sacrificed what the religious leaders would say about him. He sacrificed going to places where he wasn't supposed to go. He sacrificed what others would think or say. He sacrificed his life so that we could have forgiveness from our sins. And so we come to the table, and if you don't have your elements you're welcome to grab them. Don't feel weird if you're up and walking around. They're back at the table. We're still doing the um, Cafe communion. Um, I'm praying that Sunday we'll be back to real bread and, and better juice. But this is what we have right now, and we're thankful. And we understand that these are just elements. The holiness comes when the presence of Jesus is with us and we share together. And we understand and we remember. So we take the bread and we remember that on the night that our Lord was to be betrayed, he knew exactly what was happening. He knew exactly who was sitting around the table. And he lifted the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which will be broken for you. It's going to happen. I want you to take it. I want you to take it in, eat it, ingest it, let it nourish you because you're going to need this strength that comes from me being in you. Take, eat, and be thankful. And then at the right time, he lifted up the cup. They'd probably been singing songs. I think it's something like Psalm 117 through 120 is what would typically be sung or recited in the Passover meal. And at some point during all that scripture reading and during this meal, he picked up the cup. 
the cup of redemption. And he said, this is my blood. It's going to be shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take, drink, and be thankful. Jesus We understand that without your presence, this is just wafers and juice. But somehow you do something mysterious when we come together at your table and you welcome the betrayer and you welcome the one that you would call beloved. And you offer the same bread and cup to everyone. I pray this week we will be transformed into living our lives like that. Welcoming and loving everyone. Thank you. Thank you for what you did on the cross. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit that raised you from the grave will be manifested in us. Paul tells us that it's there. The same power that raised you from the dead is alive in us. And I pray that it will be strong in our hearts and strong in our actions. That our feeling and our thinking and our acting will be done through your power, Holy Spirit. As we live in Christ. And as we fulfill the Father's plan, which is to love Him completely and to love others. We pray this, Holy God. Amen. Would you stand with me? Man, it's been good to be with you today. I love seeing your faces. So, if you're visiting with us, we sing our benediction. And don't let that be weird. Don't make it weird. So... But we sing it, and, uh, and so receive this today. Sing with me. We sing hallelujah, let your kingdom come in our hearts, in our homes. Let your will be done as we go in your name. We shout and we proclaim, let your will be done in us. We'll see y'all next week. Go in peace.